Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. listening live to in much less detail the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your nfl breakdown in much less detail here with you live on a saturday night february the 4th 2017 i'm dre he's jay Whew. exhale finally after two weeks it is time to pick the big game the super bowl is on the horizon tomorrow between the atlanta falcons and the New England Patriots, our Super Duper Bowl pick show is live, Super Bowl 51. Jason, this was a, a sort of a strange two weeks of hype because it wasn't much hype at all. It was very subdued compared to past Super Bowl uh, periods, two-week periods before the big game. Usually you got dog collars and uh, crazy reporters proposing to players and, and things of that nature really didn't have much of anything like that going on this time. This was a fairly bland run up to the Super Bowl now that you mention it. And I, th- I think a lot of that has to do with the fact um, that there's there's this sort of preordained feeling like, you know, it's, this is going to be a Patriots romp. It's, uh, the Falcons, they're cute. Uh, we're going to talk about their offense, and we're just going to go ahead and we're going to, you know, just expect Tom Brady to go out, and he's going to win the ring, and Atlanta's going to show up. Nice story, but they're just not going to compete at that level with the New England Patriots, which is sort of, excuse me, sort of expected. I would say is Atlanta's not a, it's not a winning franchise, and it's one of the worst overall record teams in NFL history. So they don't have any storied past. There's no rivalry here. Nobody says Patriots Falcons and thinks, yeah, gotta, gotta watch that. Can't wait for those two to get at it. Um, so there's, there's not a lot of hype from that standpoint. There's other than Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Most of that team is, is fairly unknown. Um, unless you are, a fantasy player. Everybody who played fantasy this year knows all those Atlanta offensive players. But other than the two that are being talked about the most in Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, Atlanta's sort of an unknown opponent. Um, there's also not any like crazy storylines surrounding this Atlanta team. So we don't have the, the, the over-the-top stuff with Brady and Goodell and the trophy. And it wasn't going to have to give him the trophy. And, you know, and Brady's always got the chip on his shoulder and Belichick and all the games that are going to be played. And these guys have been there so many times and they're just going to they're just going to be ready to pounce on the Falcons. And they're going to have something for these guys. And those guys have no chance. Atlanta's not particularly flashy. This is a, you know, again, a team that was preseason, not expected to be particularly good, um, went under the radar most of the year. 
Um, we, we talked a few shows ago about Matt Ryan, um, although he's now the newly minted MVP of the league. Um, everybody having that sideways glance at Matt Ryan, expecting for the other shoe to drop with him. And, you know, it, it's going to end. And now that's just the thinking is now it's going to end in the Super Bowl. So I, I, I'm OK being a fan of the team. I am perfectly fine with them being the sort of overlooked under the radar um, sort of no respect team, although I don't think they're going to be out there playing the no respect card because they are such an unknown, um, you know, being new to the stage. They haven't been in the Super Bowl since the since 99 was the last appearance for them in a Super Bowl. So it's almost 20 years since we've seen a Falcons team in the Super Bowl. So there's no pedigree. They don't, they're not a team of, of miscreants. So there isn't that, that hype machine can get up all over it about a guy who's going to say something stupid or do something stupid. Um, I I think I kind of like it that way, but yeah, you're right. It's made for a pretty boring two-week run-up here to the Super Bowl. I'm just going to be glad they're going to be playing. That, that's what I want to say. I want to see these two teams actually get at it. I think that the storylines for this game, thankfully, are on the field and not all this off-the-field stuff. Nobody who voted for Matt Ryan as MVP ever watched football, though. We heard that. We heard that a couple weeks ago. No, we're all idiots. No one has they're ever all watched football. Yeah. Obviously, no. it's got to be either Brady or, or Rodgers. There's no other choices. I don't know yeah, what that has nothing thinking. to do with the fact that what had nothing to do with the fact that what Matt Ryan what Matt Ryan did was completely unbelievable and unreal. Um the blistering pace that he kept all season long, in which we highlighted this on our last show. We highlighted this when we gave out our postseason awards. He was my MVP, and of course, for you, he was the shit. The shit. The shit. Not not in the bad way. He was the shit. Um we broke Matt Ryan down plenty in the last show. So there's no more, I think, that we need to say about how good he was this year. And that's the whole point of an award or, you know, this isn't a lifetime achievement award. We're not trying to say that for their careers, anything like Matt Ryan's better than Tom Brady. But this year, Matt Ryan was the best player in the league. And I also have my best player of the year award named the shit because I don't get into the whole who's most valuable to their team and who's because yeah. that's completely you can get into that argument all day and you can have completely different definitions of it and come up with ways to see some guys as more valuable than others if Tom Brady was off of the Patriots what would they do well they win with Janine Garofalo and Jack yeah. Brisket so I don't know how exactly you define most valuable so I don't even bother with that just who, which player made me think he was the shit most this year? And Matt Ryan, the way he played, made me think he was the shit. It's that simple. I, I, don't, I try to avoid the whole MVP debate because I, I think it's completely fruitless. So it's official. He is now consensus MVP or the shit. Um, right. It's two years in a row for us with the league. It's amazing. We actually see things the same way for uh, it's very rare that that happens. Usually the, the NFL yes. and, and us, uh, we, we're usually at odds with these type of things. But good to see that we are on the same page for at least for a couple of a uh, couple of items. And and this is not I, I know the narrative. I can feel the narrative already that this was an MVP vote that was the 
oh, just anybody but Brady vote. Let's you know, it's like the we got to give it to Carl Malone. You know, we're tired of giving it to Jordan, so let's give it to somebody other than Brady. Matt Ryan went out there through 16 games, and he earned this, um, especially being on a team that nobody really gives a shit about and having a career that up to this point was a nice career, but nothing to this level. No, Nowhere to this point in his career did we think that Matt Ryan had this in him. Um, so he's in the perfect, he's in the perfect system. He's got the perfect OC. He's got the perfect weapons all around him. And, you know, a lot of the talk about, you know, his season this year centered around the fact that he had a very subpar season last year and, you know, basically sort of rededicated himself to, to become, you know, becoming more of a student of the game and maybe things don't just come easy to you because you're a high draft pick and you got to work at it. So a lot of that's been talked about this year with Matt Ryan, and it came through. He completely deserved it. And the next step in the MVP discussion for some people who would not be happy with that, but then, well, what about uh, he, he lost five games this year. The, the Falcons had a worse record than the Patriots. Uh, how can he be most valuable, more valuable than Tom Brady? First of all, Brady didn't play all the games, but uh, second of all, they don't play on the other side of the ball. Matt Ryan can throw for eight thousand yards and 60 touchdowns and if the defense gives up more then they lose it's not on him uh, they only play what they play they only play half the games uh, and sometimes less than that I, I that's why i try to avoid the whole valuable discussion altogether so the, the, the goalposts will just keep yeah. moving for those who don't want matt ryan to be recognized as the mvp renard might be one of those guys who hated him so much before the season began uh, Sometimes those guys they like to move the goalposts when they when their guy doesn't win the the Rodgers lovers the Brady lovers well he wasn't he he had a losing uh record you know he had more losses than than certain guys well this is his first year being that good let's see him do it again he hasn't really proven it well Brady will be more valuable Rodgers is more valuable what would the Packers be without Rodgers and what would the Falcons be without Matt Ryan all these nebulous questions that really can't be answered with concrete evidence so just keep moving those goalposts we'll sit here and and be proud that we picked the MVP and and we had it all along Yeah, but like I said, that this this is also a byproduct of the franchise. This is this is a franchise that is synonymous with with losing. Um, so I totally get everything I've seen this week. Um, it has been, I will say, for the first ten days or so, it was very Patriot centric, and I think in the last few days, you've started to see some people giving some some a little bit more honest analysis of the game as they were actually starting to get closer to the point where they're picking the game. But universally, uh, a couple of things are, are being said about this game. It's going to be high scoring and and the Patriots are going to win. Those are the universal things. <laughs> so Patriots in the over uh, seems to be the, the common thread uh, that I'm taking away from, from most of the actual pregame analysis. Although a lot of that's very useless because when they're when they're going through and they're talking to guys about you know who their X factors are and they're bringing out like Julio Jones and you know the most obvious players that are out there you know you're not getting. I think Julio Jones is going to have a big impact on this game. You think? (laughs) Oh God! Uh, What do you think of 
the fact that the 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 point spread and the over under hasn't moved pretty much at all for these two weeks. All the talk, I agree that all the talk has been very much slanted towards Patriots should win and it should be a high scoring affair. And yet that the over under number and more stunning to me, the point spread of Patriots yeah. minus three from what I've seen hasn't moved a bit in these two weeks. No. I'm completely shocked at that. Yeah. I mean, the, I think that shows that there is maybe within the betting community, a little bit more respect for this uh, Atlanta team than there has been from the uh, the talking heads and and the fandom. But your casual your casual observer, you know, and folks that I've talked to about this game, the, the overriding consensus is, oh, this is this is this is just a Patriots a walk. This is this is a Patriots you know blowout. Um. Overall, though, if we're you know we're seeing the number coming in, um, you know, interestingly enough, it's it's funny when I look at the uh, you know on covers.com where we use for our line. Of course, it's three, um, but it's totally uh, backwards. So you actually right now, interestingly. Because uh, they'll do for you, they'll do the the public betting, and then they, what they call the leaders betting, which I'm assuming is going to be more of the people who are professional at this. Um, the public is slightly leaning towards the Falcons, and it's a little bit higher even for what they call the leaders, which is uh, again probably people who are really good at this. Uh, but that's 52:48 on the public and 58:42. For the leaders, all those are both to the Falcon side. So they're starting, you're starting to see money coming in on the Atlanta side. Um, and you're also starting to see some sentiment. That's what was interesting because in the last couple, three days, I've started to see more of the talking heads where people actually had to sit down and make their pick. I'm starting to see a little closer to more of a 50 50 proposition here where it was real heavy Patriots early. Now you're starting to be, you know, now you're starting to hear some people talking about, well, you know, when we actually break it down and we look at things and, and we look at this Falcons team, that this is a different animal than what New England has played all year. Um, the other thing that I've heard, which I also do somewhat believe with, is that Atlanta's defense is being somewhat overlooked. Um, that that side of the ball where they just expect that Tom Brady, it's just going to be, you know, he's going to get his way all day long, that there are some things in the numbers and in their performance that suggest that Atlanta's defense isn't just this pushover and paper-thin defense that everybody expects it is. And how long have we been talking about the Falcons' hurries and the way that they've been playing mm -hmm. under uh, Dan Quinn? Yeah, all year. All year. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, without making the pick, um, although it doesn't matter, I mean, we're not really competing for anything here um, anymore, but the statistic that I looked up, I looked this up on my own because I was like, you know, I, I had that sense, like something wasn't right to me about this Atlanta defense. Like it's not as bad as people keep making it out to be, especially that they're throwing everything at us from an aspect of scoring, you know, 
it's really interesting the way that they're suddenly framing this up now. It's this Patriots number one defense. The Patriots did not have the number one defense. The Patriots had the number one scoring defense. Now, yes, that matters, but nobody was framing it up that way when the Patriots were playing the Texans. Nobody said that this is the NFL's best defense versus the NFL's best scoring defense. So it's almost like they're trying to find a way to skew the numbers to make the Patriots number one at something. we got to find what the Patriots were the best at on defense so we can frame this up as Atlanta's number one. Atlanta's offense wasn't number one in scoring. Atlanta's offense was just about number one in everything. Pretty much. Yards, scoring, you name it. Yards per attempt, yards per play. Uh, all of their running backs ran off ridiculous large yards per attempt. I mean, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman were both around five yards per carry. Everything, scoring, you name it, they pretty much dominated all of the offensive categories. So the thing that I looked at, because they, they've ragged a lot on the Falcons with their scoring defense, and the Falcons did give up a lot more points than the Patriots did. Interesting statistic, though, and I found that I looked this up, took my time tonight. I was like, really want to have this one down. Wait, the average Jason is going to the stats. Yes. I want you to play that every time I go to the stats now. Every time I go to the stats, (laughs) you got to play that from now on. Every show. I like that. So they're talking all about this scoring, right? The average score, the average score of a Falcons game this year through three quarters, through three quarters, right? Yeah. Was 27 to 14. Hmm. But Atlanta was the second worst team in scoring defense in the fourth quarter. What does that tell you? Sounds like garbage time to me. Garbage time. You see? And we saw how many games did we see this? We saw Atlanta jump out like 35 to nothing. I believe it was against the Saints in that last pre in that last game. And and barely hang on. Actually blew the cover, I believe, against the Saints <laughs> in yes. that game. They they were up gigantic on the Panthers and, and, and let that game come back closer. So we see a team that for three quarters, or when it matters, I should say more, when it matters, plays fairly good defense. They don't play great, but they play good enough when you have the league's number one offense that they allow that team to get out to big leads. You know, we we saw it a little bit in both of their playoff games where they were up gigantic against both Seattle and Green Bay. And gave it back a little bit in the fourth, you know, in, in in the fourth quarter where Green Bay gets a couple touchdowns and Seattle is desperately trying to come back and score, even though Atlanta kept scoring. It's not like their scoring offense in the fourth quarter goes in the tank, but their scoring defense in the fourth quarter, although for the first three quarters, their rank was one, two, and one in scoring offense. <laughs> or you know. <laughs> In the fourth quarter, it's 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 still exceptionally good. Their scoring defense, though, for the first three quarters is fairly good. Quarter by quarter, their scoring defense, not terrible. But their fourth quarter scoring defense was the second worst in the league. So to me, that says exactly like you pointed out. 
they're in basically, you know, don't don't get risky. Let the other team keep the ball moving, run the clock. If they score, it's no big deal. We're basically just running the clock out on the other team. Our offense could still keep moving up and down the field. And we've seen that a lot lately with them. So that to me really jumped out. So there's a statistic for you that's a pretty interesting one. Um, that they're scoring defense through three quarters, very good. If they actually kept up their scoring defense performance through that fourth quarter, they'd be looked at, I think, a lot better. But when people are just looking at numbers and they're not breaking it down like that and they see a lot of these big comebacks or big fourth quarter performances, you'd think that this was just an Atlanta team that was blowing leads and losing games. No, they were just blowing teams out and the other teams were basically just in throw mode, which is another reason why their pass defense looks worse than it is, because this is a lot of compiled stats in garbage time, and that's what you see from from pass defenses. So I think their defense is underrated. And like you said, you're always pointing out how they get after the quarterback. They rack up the hurries. Your stats back up what I've seen with my eyes watching the Falcons games this year, um, and you've probably watched – more game, more Falcons games than me being yeah. as big a fan as you are. Uh, what I see with my eyes is that in the fourth quarters, their style of defense fast to the quarterback, getting the pressures, uh, not very stout, a uh, little thin in the, in the front seven. Uh, and the secondary guys are, they, they like to run and they like to hit you, but they're not exactly the most physical group you've ever seen. And in the fourth quarter, if you have a big lead, that pass rush that's fast to the quarterback isn't quite as fast because they're kind of thinking about where, where they're going to go for dinner after the game and thinking about the big win that they're about to sew up. They're maybe not trying quite as hard to get to the quarterback. That leaves their secondary guys a little out there on an island a little bit, get, get a little physical, a little pushed around a little bit. Um, and, and you can make some plays on them. And, and that's what I've saw. That's what I have written in my notes uh, looking at the Falcons games this year is that late in game, I specifically have it written down, late in games can get pushed around and can get scored on. Uh, so that absolutely backs up what I've seen. And I, I don't think that's all that you know far-fetched when you watch how they play and you watch what they what they do. They want to establish themselves early in the game. They want to, to, to kick your ass and they want to get, uh, get the quarterback on the ground. And, 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 and if they can't get him on the ground, they will be more than happy to just hurry and pressure him uh, and rack up the hurries. Uh, that's what they've been playing. Like this is what Dan Quinn wants. This is the style that they've been trying to achieve. And they have achieved incredible heights this year because of that offense. The, the defense has gotten to sort of do exactly what they want to do. Uh, and, like I said, I don't think it's very surprising to the people that actually uh, watch football uh, closely. And now there's a lot of people that have been commenting on it that don't watch quite that closely, I don't believe. And, and I, you know, I have a very healthy ego, as everyone who listens already knows. I'm not trying to pass this off as everyone else is watching wrong and I'm watching right. But I'm just saying, I already have it written down. This is what my notes say. This is what I see with my eyes. The Falcons can get after you, but they can wear down a little bit in the fourth quarter because they're not as uh, stout and, and muscular as, as other teams are uh, that will kind of stiffen up in the fourth quarter and wear you down physically. The Patriots on the other side are a perfect example of the type of team that 
they're thicker and they're stronger. They're not quite as fleet of foot, but you really have trouble scoring on them in the fourth quarter because they're so physical. They're so hard to, to complete passes against late in games because everything gets tackled immediately. And that's if they let you catch it, you know, cause Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler might just knock the ball away. They're so good on the ball. They're so good man to man. They might not even let you catch the thing. Uh, so that's a perfect example. The other way, the, the, the Patriots don't give up a lot in the fourth quarters uh, because their defense is built differently than the Falcons. And that's just the, the, the method of how one team wants to build a defense and the other team wants to build it there. They play completely different styles, uh, but they both are very effective in their own ways. Right. No, and and it's interesting because, you know, I really do think, I don't think this is going to be the Atlanta defense versus the Patriots offense that's going to determine this game. I, I, it really is what it's been hyped for all week. It is going to be, how effective and how fast and how much production can Matt Ryan and that Atlanta offense get? If they can score and they can score a lot, that is almost as good as playing a great defense. We, we talked about this with them, especially against Green Bay. We talked about it with them some against Seattle. That blowout potential for an offense that's firing as much as they are, if they can start fast and keep the pressure on through scoring points, you know, and, and 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 really put the pressure on this sort of finesse timing offense of the Patriots and trying to make them go, you know, toe-to-toe against this Atlanta offense. If that New England defense is bending and breaking, uh, could be a very interesting game. I, 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 I This is almost that same, same analogy like what we're talking about with uh, – what we talked about with Seattle. It's like if Atlanta can get to 30 – really gets hard for the other team because if you're in that mode where Atlanta's firing on all cylinders and they they you literally know every time they touch the ball they could score it, it this could look a lot like the last two games it's interesting you say that I had not even I guess I'm giving away my pick a little bit I hadn't even considered the Falcons possibly getting to 30. Of course, you're right. If they do, oh, shit, the, the Patriots are in big trouble. I hadn't even thought oh, yeah. of the possibility of the Falcons. Gonna, and I guess that's why I expected the line to climb. I was dead wrong uh, because when I saw that the line was New England minus three uh, the day after the conference title games, I said, well, that'll be between five and seven or between yeah. four and five. Uh, I thought it was going to be between five and seven to open. And I said it was going to be between four and five by the time the kickoff arrived. And that's obviously not going to happen. The money has been going pretty evenly between the two teams with New England minus three. I guess they set the perfect spread right there, uh, right after the conference title games. And so good on Vegas for doing that. But I, 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 I would have never thought it would have stuck at three and stayed right there. I, I guess that is a uh, mad respect yeah. for the Falcons and what they've done. Yeah, quiet respect, though. You know, not being talked about a lot. That's for sure. Because, like, again, this is not a sexy matchup. This is not a game that's going to play, other than the Tom Brady angle and all of that. This is not a game that's going to play nationally, except for Patriots hate. I will say that is the one thing I have talked I've seen a lot. There's a lot of people that I know and that I've talked to who are just – who have suddenly just become huge big Falcons fans, fans of the Atlanta Falcons <laughs> because they yes. are sick 
of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. They, it, so there is that groundswell of support as well. I guess so. I, I hadn't thought of that either. Uh, uh, there, there's definitely a lot of Patriots hate out there. There's, there's no doubt about that. The evening is still young for the Falcons to make some news uh, because the last time the Falcons were in the Super Bowl, yes. it was deep into the Saturday <laughs> oh, no. evening uh, that they made some news. Uh, yes. Eugene Robinson shout out. So the, the night is still young. <laughs> there's still time for the we'll be watching the police to, blotter. Yeah, to make it interesting. Um, did you look at any prop bets this week? Is there anything you? Uh, I did not. Took a. I have not. I was. I was. Okay. I was focused on the game. Well, obviously because this is my team, so. I've yeah, I've been focused, been focused on this focused game on it as well. Week. I I I've been bouncing this game around in my brain, you know, ever since the 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 final the final uh, gun there and down in Atlanta. Thinking about okay, this team going to the Super Bowl, what's this going to look like? Um, and you know, trying to kick it around. So obviously, you you don't you don't see Atlanta scoring with the ease that they scored against both Seattle and uh, Green Bay. So you think that the Patriots will have something up their sleeve? The Patriots always have something up their sleeve. Um, and I guess more basically, when I saw the what the what the Falcons did to the Packers defense, I, of course I was commenting to you on text, and then again on the show. That's an, that's a very easy defense to do that against. Uh, this Patriots defense may not be very much uh, heralded. People trying to pump up being number one in scoring defense, as you just talked about, but it's not like they're a bad defense. It's still number eight in the league. No. Uh, this is not the Packers defense. And on the other side, what the Houston Texans did to Tom Brady in that game that they wound up getting blown out by 18 points and yet still looked at many different times in that game like the defense was going to pave the way to a to a Texans upset victory. I said at that time, that's the toughest defense the Patriots are going to play by a mile. And it props to the Falcons D for what they've done, but that's not the Houston Texans defense. It's just not. Uh, so it, yeah. at a very basic level, Atlanta's not playing the Green Bay D and New England's not playing the Houston D. So that's pretty much how I've seen this game for the entire two weeks. Yeah. Also, though, you use that Houston game as a good example. New England isn't playing that Houston offense. Yeah, this isn't Brock Osweiler they're, they're opposing. Yeah. That's that's absolutely true. This is also not uh, New England playing against that Pittsburgh offense, which was once Le'Veon Bell was gone, uh, that was basically the Antonio Brown show. Just shut Antonio Brown down, and that game was over because they were, they were all over Antonio Brown. Not quite the same strategy-wise, that they can do. We we can see what Atlanta can do if you take away Julio Jones. Or if Julio Jones is hurt, he's just out there as a decoy. They have no problem de-emphasizing Julio Jones completely from the game plan. And that's why everyone's talking about oh, Julio Jones is going to be the MVP. He's going he's going to have he could set the record. Julio Jones could go out there like he did against the Saints. And go and go for three catches for like 16 yards and and you still and the Falcons go out and still put up 40 points. Um, 
this this is such an interesting game. I mean, from first a football standpoint, the X's and O's where you have, you know, good defense, great offense. Historically, this favors the defense, but this Patriots defense is not the 2000 Ravens, last year's Broncos, the 85 Bears, or those historically great defenses. This is a good defense that is surprisingly to me being way more overhyped um, just because I think it's the Patriots and it's Boston and it's the Patriot way. I don't look at this from the standpoint of Atlanta's great, you know, one of the all-time great offenses that we've seen going up against a good defense. No, no, they're framing this up as, Oh, that Patriots defense, it's amazing. It's the number one scoring defense. The Falcons are dead in the water. I don't quite see it to that level. I think we're talking, this is like almost as much hype, I don't know if you'll agree with me, is what we were seeing about the resurgence of them talking about that Giants defense, you know, that greatest defense The number one defense in football. Yeah. By what metric feels- are you pulling that shit out? What are you talking about? Yeah. It feels a little bit like that. They've searched for that one thing, and in this case, it's well, it's the one thing that matters, points, but they pulled that one thing out and are suddenly uh, suddenly attributing that to the Patriots are the best defense in the league. And this is like juggernaut defense, and the Falcons have no chance. I don't get that. I I understand it, though. you got to pull out the hype wherever you can find it, and that's where they're finding it right now. So, I, I so, so we'll see. I mean, if they they could totally game plan this, and you know, Belichick's a master. They, they, they if there's a team that can figure out how to stop this Atlanta offense, it, it could be them. It could be this. You know, I just I haven't seen anybody really, especially on these fat on what's going to be a fast track. Um, I think Matt Ryan, um. Uh, is, is basically just going to have to go out there and lay an egg for that offense to be stopped because he is so locked in right now finding the open guy. And we've, we've, we've admired this all year about him. It does. He doesn't care who's open. If you're open and you're wearing an Atlanta Jersey, the ball's coming your way. No matter what your, if your name is Joshua Perkins or Austin Hooper or Taron Ward, it, it, one of those 13 different guys who caught touchdowns. I mean, Aldrick Robinson, he doesn't care. You don't have to be Julio Jones. Levine Toilolo. Our buddy Levine Toilolo. <laughs> Any one of those guys, if you're wearing red tomorrow and you're open, chances are the ball's coming your way. I was looking down this list of props that uh, CBS.com, CBSSports.com had uh, a little yeah. column about props. And it was the, the typical fare. Uh, you know, will be will there be a fleet flicker attempted in the game? Uh, will there be a two-point conversion? Who gets the first touchdown throw, et cetera, et cetera. And you were just talking about Julio Jones can easily be a, a decoy or he can be the star of the show because the Falcons don't really care. And he's unselfish and he doesn't care. I think that would be an excellent prop for some. I'm sure some book has it somewhere. Number of receivers for the Falcons tomorrow. Because that oh, could sure. go. They catch a ball? Yeah. Number I'm going to go, with, completed, go with, uh, number of receivers to catch a pass. I'm going to say nine. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, that when everything is clicking for the Falcons, yes, that is typical for what Matty Ice has done this yeah. year. I think that's a little high for the Super Bowl. I don't know if they're going to be quite mixing yeah. it up that much. I was going to set the over under at like six and a half. Obviously, you'd go way well, over. That'll be interesting. Let's, we'll look back on this. Yeah. And we'll, we'll count I'm that going up. with nine. I'm going to say Man. nine guys catch balls in that game. So I'm obviously going with Julio, Sanu, Gabriel. Um, for sure, both running backs. So that's five right there. Um, Toilolo, Hooper uh, will catch a ball. And I'll also say that you may see Aldrick Robinson and Patrick DeMarco. That's nine right wow. there. And that might be another indicator. If, if yeah. all those guys are catching balls and the Falcons offense is rolling like that and the Patriots' heads are kind of spinning and they don't know which way to go, where the ball's going, what's up, what's down – then, yeah, the Falcons uh, should have a, a chance to absolutely win this game and, and sort of shock the world. Yeah, and, and you can have Logan, Ryan, and Malcolm Butler, but that's two guys, <laughs> and, and you've sometimes literally got Matt Ryan with five or six different guys out on a pattern. And... uh the Patriots and you're the you're the stack guy on this one. Um, the Patriots I know had the same amount of sacks as the Falcons, so they actually so they sacked the other team as much as the Falcons did. Um, but I don't think of a vicious pass rush at all when I think of the uh, when I think of the Patriots. And I know that the Falcons uh, ended up not listing Alex Mack on their injury report. So that helps because that's going to help the running game. And that's also going to help keep that offensive line intact. That's actually done a really good job this year of protecting Matt Ryan. So another portion of uh super bowl hype that could some, some years be sort of crazy and, and get a lot of attention that isn't getting any attention this year. They're not very much, they're not much injury reporting going on that much uh, no. in, the, in the way of who's going to miss the game or who's, uh, going to be hobbled in the game. There's not a whole lot to, to look up there at all as well. So it's another reason where it's the, the, the hype has sort of died down a little bit. I, I kind of like it, though. It's been a peaceful couple of weeks. It's, you know, I'm just as anxious as I would be anyway to get this thing going. We're both ready for them to actually play the game. Uh, but as far as the, the hype being out of control, it's that certainly not been the case this uh, this last two weeks. No, I've actually been able to watch the pregame run up to the game and actually enjoy some of it. I, it hasn't made me ill. And not cringe? No. Not at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with you. Not yet. I will not. <laughs> I will now do the plugs and then I will let Jason give his analysis for the game and I will give mine after that. You, of course, are listening to our wonderful show live on blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail. To listen to this show as a podcast, which you would get this show and an after show as well, uh, you can subscribe on your Apple device. Go to iTunes, search for In Much Less Detail, the podcast, click that free subscribe button. Or you can go to a different bunch of different podcast apps. You can go to TuneIn, MixCloud, Player.fm, Blueberry, or you can subscribe by email at subscribebyemail.com uh, and get the show that way as well. Or come back to the live show page, scroll down to the bottom. Our, all of our shows are listed 
on the bottom of our show page. Communicate with this show via Twitter. I'm at IMLD Dre. Jason's at IMLD JTG. I'll put our Super Bowl pick up on the blog after we're done. The blog site is in much less detail.blogspot.com, has all of our picks up for the year as well. And uh, send an email to us anytime you want. You can send that to in much less detail at gmail.com. And with that, it's finally time to make our picks for the big game. Super Duper Bowl, Super Bowl 51 from Houston, Texas. Tomorrow evening, if you want to avoid all the uh, stoom and drong and all the hype of the pregame show and you're wondering, when are you actually play the fucking game? I think what time does the Super Bowl start is, is a very, very common, popular uh, Google search at this time of year. Uh, plan on around 6.30 Eastern time, 5.30 central time for them to actually kick the ball off. At worst, you'll tune in at that time and they'll be flipping the coin in the air and then they'll go to a commercial and come back and kick it off. So around 6.30, 6.35 p.m. Eastern time is when you should expect the ball to actually be in the air. So here we go for our pick, Atlanta and New England. As I said, the Patriots are still, as they have been for two weeks now, and I am completely shocked at that, a three-point favorite, merely three points uh, on the neutral site down in Houston, Atlanta, with 13 wins now, counting the postseason. So 13 and five, New England at 16 and two. Uh, if you count this as a, as a road game, it's certainly not a home game for either team. If you want to count it as a road game, the Falcons were six and two on the road this year, which is really damn good. And then you think of the Patriots and you think about what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick did on the road this year, and they went a perfect eight and zero. So they're ready for the road as well. So Atlanta plus three at New England for all the marbles tomorrow. Jason, who you got? Uh, well, I got to go with my team. You know, this would be a tougher pick if this was a pressure situation. And you and I were actually picking for something to make this pick. But I do, I do believe in, in that offense. And I know it could be a fool's bet, a sucker bet, because of that amazing Patriots defense that's been rammed down my throat for the last two weeks that nobody talked about consequently as being the number one defense against Pittsburgh or Houston or anybody else that the Patriots have played. But suddenly when the matchup indicates that you've got a big offense to play, now the Patriots defense is the greatest of all time. Um I do think that the Falcons can get to 30. They got to 36 against Seattle, and they got to 44 against the Packers. I'll say the Patriots are a touchdown better than that. So I'm gonna have the I have the Falcons here winning this game. Uh, I'm gonna say 30 to 26 uh, for my score overall. So it, it it's a lot of points. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this was. It, it, you know, it's really going to come down to, and if this was a Falcons fast start, I think they need to start fast. And we will know early if this is one of those that are coming out and it's, oh, it's the body shots. They're feeling each other out. The usual garbage we hear in the Super Bowl. Um, I'd be a little bit more worried for Atlanta. I think that they want to hit the ground running uh, offensively, not literally like not Lovey Smith running. You know, they're going to get off the bus running. I don't really think that this oh. is going to be Atlanta's. You mean they want to get off the bus passing? Yes, they want to get off the bus okay. passing this time. So I they see. don't want to be like Lovey Smith. 
They don't want to get off the bus running. They want to get off the bus passing. Uh, gotcha. That's where their that's where their bread and butter is going to be. The, the the big plays down the field, and they by far led the league in big plays down the field. In fact, Matt Ryan completed over fifty percent of his balls um, over twenty yards. So he threw the ball more than twenty yards. His accuracy down the field was the best in the league. Tom Brady was second best in the league at like thirty five percent. So so Matt Ryan's not afraid to throw it deep. Um, which will open up the running game. And then that's, I think, where you start to see Freeman and Coleman really having a big impact on the game. Um, I've got a weird feeling that we're going to see something from Atlanta that we haven't seen this year, um, which I just got the weird sense that we're going to see them run a few screen passes. And this is not a, not wide, not wide receiver screens. I'm talking actual set them up, let the D lineman get into the backfield. Matt Ryan throws the old traditional screen pass to either Freeman or Coleman and tries to loosen up that pass rush a little bit. Um, but we've already talked about Matt Ryan's obscene numbers against rushers this year. So it's almost like it, it, it's a fool's errand. What do you do? You're damned if you do, damned if you don't this year against that that Falcons offense. And I think that the defense for them, with all the hurries, may be able to throw Tom Brady off of his timing a little bit. They are pretty weak in the back end. They're, they're not great. There's no big names back there. But I think that that D-line might be fired up. Um, to get after Tom Brady and make some plays. They rotate tons of D linemen in and out of the game for that team. So there are some fresh people in there. Um, not Nobody you know, no, nobody who's who's a name player other than Vic Beasley. Uh, they'll throw Dwight Freeney's name out there, but he's like sort of like the corpse of Dwight Freeney at this point in his career. <laughs> he's not the Dwight Freeney that we remember. So, but... You know, the the whole Dan Quinn defense is all about, like you said, fast to the football. Don't give up a lot of, you know, yards after the catch, which is what the Patriots, they live on that. Keep them in front of you. Uh, no, no deep stuff over the top. Don't get embarrassed deep. You know, make them work for it. But, you know, be light on your feet and fast to the football. But they've also started to see this uptick in pressure. And we, we, we've sort of highlighted that as the season went on, that maybe this defense was sort of finding its footing. And it also started to coincide with them winning more games. So we all know that Tom Brady loves pressure. <laughs> we, if you, if you know, the way to beat the Patriots is to get after him with four. So if the, if the Falcons can send four and make Brady uncomfortable, I think they could. I think they could pull this off. I, I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think this is going to be the cakewalk that they had in their first two games in the playoffs. But I, I think that there's a, a road to victory for them. So I'm going to say thirty to twenty six. My X factor in this game basically boils down to this: whoever is returning kicks and punts for the Patriots better hold on to the damn football because if there is one weakness. Mm on this Patriots team, whether it's Slater or Deion Lewis or Edelman, whoever they're putting back there, if they get sloppy with any kick or punt returns and put the ball on the ground and give the Atlanta Falcons extra plays and extra possessions, that could make it really ugly for the Patriots. So my X factor is whoever 
is returning kicks and punts for the New England Patriots. Their X factor is, is the Patriots returners' hands. Yes. Keep your hands on the damn ball. They can do that. They got a good chance of winning and keeping the possessions even. They get sloppy, like we saw against Houston. You know, we talked about it. That team was ripe for the plucking against Houston. A decent offense could win that game. This is a lot more than a decent offense. Don't give them extra no possessions if you it. want to win. Most explosive offense in the league by the numbers. So hey, I'm not surprised you're going with your team. I kind of figured you would. Um, the only other injury news anyone was talking about this week, I guess Julio Jones a little bit, but he was never really. Um, yeah. he, they're just sort of talking about him being sort of beat up and hurt all season long in general, but uh, not on the official injury report for this game. Uh, I guess Chris Hogan is listed as questionable, quote-unquote, with a thigh injury. And not only is that laughable because it's Bill Belichick and the Patriots and they play with the injury reports anyway, but it's laughable because Chris Hogan had this thigh thing supposedly a couple weeks ago before the conference title game. What did he do in that conference title game against the Steelers? Lest I remind you, nine catches, 180 yards, two touchdowns. I think Chris Hogan's thigh is going to be just fine. Uh, I don't know about the dome situation. That's the only, pretty much the only other question I had is uh, I've heard that they might close the dome in Houston tomorrow because of the threat of rain. Um, the last I read about it was that they were going to make that decision today, Saturday before the Super Bowl. Uh, but before the show started, I had not read any official word about that. Um, but it, the speculation seems to be that it's going to be unlikely that the dome will be open because of the threat of possible weather tomorrow. So I expect it uh, to be a dome situation. I expect a closed stadium uh, giving the Falcons possibly a little bit of a boost is, is going to feel more like a Falcons dome game, home game than normal. So that might be a little bit of a psychological deal for them, but it's going to be the same surface no matter what. So uh, the psychological is big. Any advantage can, can help. Mental is, is absolutely a big part of this thing. Uh, somebody might want to handcuff Kyle Shanahan's playbook to his wrist because that threatened to be the the possible controversy as he uh, apparently left his backpack with his playbook uh, lying around uh, after the media sessions uh, either Sunday or Monday earlier this week, but he got it back uh, intact apparently. But that was potentially pretty, pretty scary. Um, but nothing compared to Eugene Robinson-like, but it still could have been something pretty bad. Um now get this right off uh, out of the way right off the bat. The over under I've seen uh, between 58, 58 and a half, which is really high. My final score is going to come up to 59 points. So if you want to take that as gospel and 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 go ahead and bet the over, uh, you can. But I'm not recommending it at all. As far as the over under goes, I'm not uh, recommending betting that at all. I think that's a very good number, 58, 58 and a half. I think it might be right. Along those lines, I, I wouldn't touch the over-under as far as betting that uh, either way. That That's how I see that one. Uh, so this is going to be some uh, – this game could go – If it, again, I did not expect the Falcons to, to get to 30 in this game uh, against the Patriots. I hadn't even considered that as an option. Not that I think the Falcons' offense is a fluke. Not that I think Kyle Shanahan is a fluke as much shit that, as I've given him over the years. He proved himself this year. He's got a, a bona fide career in the NFL. It, it still started with nepotism. That's not 
get it twisted here. It still started because his dad was Mike Shanahan, but he's proven that he's figured it out and, and he's worth uh, anything that the, the 49ers are, are going to give him, which is, uh, it's pretty obvious. Everyone knows that uh, the San Francisco 49ers head coach is, is coaching in tomorrow's Super Bowl. Um, but he's done it. Uh, and give him all the props and give Matt Ryan the props for, for communicating and getting together with him and figuring out uh, this explosive offense this season. But to take that offense as, as newbies, as green uh, as they are, new to the big stage, new to the Super Bowl, to take that against the, the Patriots and all their experience and everything they, that they've done and play your offense to its capabilities, to its uh, full max out, utmost effort, nine, 10 receivers, uh, ball flying all over the place and all of that. I don't imagine that happening. And if they do it, I will be the first to stand up and applaud them. But I just cannot imagine them doing that. On the New England side, uh, I, I remember them going no huddle all the way against the Steelers to start that game off the conference title game. They neutralized the, the, the Pittsburgh speedy defense, and the Steelers are built a little similar to the Falcons' defense, fast to the ball, uh, getting a lot of pressure, not exactly stout, uh, and, and they got worn down. The Steelers got worn down. They looked confused out there, uh, as, as Tom Brady and the Patriots did what they do, uh, and added some wrinkles. They had the, the flea flicker going. Uh, I just talked about the prop bet on that. And I, I actually wouldn't be surprised necessarily. I'm not recommending to bet that, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a flea flicker again. Uh, they ran a, a double reverse fake at one point against the Steelers. They got that Steelers defense going in the wrong direction. I think you're going to see a lot of that tomorrow. Get that Falcons defense really aggressively flowing to somewhere where the ball is not. You get them going one way and put the ball the other way, whether it's uh, on a, a run or a jet sweep or a, a double reverse fake, something like that, spider two, Y banana, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I completely expect the, the Patriots to have a lot of wrinkles and a lot of things to make the Falcons defense fly somewhere where the ball is not. Um, and I really think that it would be a, an upset if they didn't have a lot of reverses and a lot of play actions and a lot of uh, misdirections and things of that nature. Uh, I, I can't imagine Josh McDaniels doesn't have a whole crap load of plays like that in his head, just all night long. He's going to be come up, up, coming up with new ones. He's going to revamp the game plan maybe tomorrow because he's going to have even more in his dreams tonight. Uh, I really think it's going to be a, a lot of uh, crazy back and forth uh misdirection type plays by the Patriots offense. Uh, I'm not confident that Atlanta's game film against the Packers is really useful to think about what they might do against the Patriots because that's how bad the Packers defense is. And this Patriots defense, they're not the greatest defense in the league, like they're being hyped up to be, but they're not the Packers for the love of God. Uh, so I don't know if there's really anything to, to go for there. Uh, so you brought out your stats and I've of course got some stats that I was looking at, I was specifically looking at what you were talking about uh, as far as the hurries and the sacks and, and, and that whole situation with the pass rush. So hurries wise, we talked about the Falcons all season with their hurries. They finished pretty high up in the, in the rankings for hurries. I believe they were fifth with 122, but well, New England had 109 hurries themselves. They weren't too bad themselves getting a bunch of pressure. And as you already pointed out, they were tied at 34 in team sacks this year. So you think, well, how good were they in protecting each other 
protecting their quarterbacks. And this is where we might have a, a little bit of a difference of how we see things. Because New England only allowed 24 sacks on all of their different three quarterbacks that they had this year. And the Falcons actually allow 37 sacks, which is pretty significantly high. And that actually jives with what I saw with my eyes this year, which is Atlanta's pass protection, kind of spotty. They, they, there were some games where they were pretty good and protecting Matty Eyes, and there were some games where they, they weren't. They're, I actually used the word spotty to describe the, the Falcons' pass protection this year. They're, they can be good, but they, they can be kind of hit and miss from what I've seen uh, this season. Atlanta's versatile and deep running attack against New England's good lateral hole filling run defense. I kind of give that a little bit of a push, I guess. I, I think the Falcons will have some success early running the ball, and, and then New England, I think, will kind of clamp down a little bit as, as the game goes on. The Atlanta passing attack, using any open target they can find against the New England physical man-to-man pass coverage, I will actually give Atlanta uh, the nod on that. I think Matty Ice has done so well all year against all sorts of different fronts and, and different uh, coverages. I don't think he's going to lay the egg that uh, it might take for New England to, to blow Atlanta out. I think he's still going to throw for about 300 yards, and, and I think he's going to have uh, success against the Patriots. I don't think he's going to get to uh, – you know, 40 points or, or have a 500-yard a game or anything quite like that. On the other side, New England, all-purpose run weapons, LeGarrette Blunt, Deion Lewis, James White, any style you, you want they can come up with. Against the Atlanta light front seven, they, they can show uh, – uh, sometimes they can show very little resistance. They can get pushed around. And so I think New England has the advantage there. And I also think New England has the advantage in the air, that smooth operation passing game with Tom Brady, much talked about, versus the Atlanta fast man coverage. Uh, but they need pressure to, to make life easier on them. If they if they can't get to Tom Brady with those hurries, if, if New England does manage to block it up, now you got these guys trying to cover the receivers, but the receivers will have all day to do any misdirections, any different jerk routes or anything they need to do to, to free themselves and get open. I don't know if the, the Falcons DBs are mentally ready to, to contend with all of that. Uh, so this one comes down to, and New England, they have the experience. And Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons don't have that experience. And to me, it just blows me away that the Falcons are only three-point underdogs. I, I can't give Atlanta that much credit, having never been on this stage before, and Tom Brady and the Patriots having been here so much and so many times. I have to give New England the nod. I think Atlanta gets all of their points early in the first half, maybe even in the first quarter, get three touchdowns and sort of make everybody go, ooh, they're in the house, they're ready. And then New England, with their experience, kind of closes the door and, and it shuts Atlanta off in the second half. And therefore, I'm going New England 38, Atlanta 21, as New England kind of gets it rolling in the second half and kind of racks up and, and goes on a run. And my X Factor is the DB for the Falcons, Brian Poole, that I talked to you about that was lighting up Aaron Rodgers. It, if he can get to Tom Brady and light him up. If you can lay the wood, if you Google search Brian Poole, you're going to see a lot of laying the wood. So I guess that's his deal. If he can lay the wood to Tom Brady and knock him out of the game and alter the game in that way, 
that could be a completely different ball game. We will now go to our after show, and we will see you on the other side. into our VIP after show program. <sighs> I, I just, I have to believe in the Patriots because they, they're the Patriots and they've done it so many times. And I, I, if the Falcons make it back next year, I, I think about the, the, the Panthers in this position last year in the Super Bowl and the egg that they laid. And I'm, I'm not picking the Falcons to do quite that, but they had as much Super Bowl experience as the Panthers. Didn't you see what the Panthers uh, pulled off last year? So I guess I'm kind of, blinded by that a little bit but like if the Falcons make it back to the Super Bowl with this offense it's not going to be the exact same offense because Kyle Shanahan is no longer the coach there he's the, as I said he's the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers uh, but if the Falcons keep this up and make it back then they'll have that big game experience I will absolutely consider taking them to to win it if they come back but their first time in it's hard for me to take them well yeah and your margin of victory here at 18 are 17. 17? 17 is larger than mm-hmm. all of the other Patriots Super Bowl wins combined. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they've made the habit of the don't forget, that, that was, against, sure. was against the, you know, and that this is interesting because I think back to those early Patriots Super Bowl winning teams against the Eagles and the, and the Panthers and the Rams. Much, much Tom Brady better. wasn't Tom Brady. Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady, but those were much better Patriots defenses than what they're putting out there tomorrow. But were they the number one scoring defense? Historically, what we saw from those Patriots teams early in Tom Brady's run was those were defense wins championships times D type of defenses. And Tom Brady did what he needed to do. Um, You know, this, you know, and, and they gave up 29 points to Jake DeLome. And they had to win that game on a, a last-second field goal. So the Patriots' way, or the Patriot way, so to speak, is not to blow people out in Super Bowls. I don't know why, um, but this is uh, this is not the Patriots' defense that was winning all of those Super Bowls. And this is I, – I don't want to go out on a limb here and say that this is probably the best offense that they've played in since the first one since the greatest show on turf Rams who they did an excellent job of stifling and holding down still almost lost that game because that's just the, that's the Patriot way um, for winning all those Super Bowls. They haven't had one laugher. Um, you know, they, they have to kick a field goal late or just cling to dear life <laughs> to win a Super Bowl, but they do it. So you have this being pretty big. Um, so that, that, that's, that's interesting. Um, considering no, that's a good that, point by you, that is probably their best offense yeah. that they've played in, in this in this reign or this Super Bowl era. Yeah. And I guess I'm reflecting the way that I'm having this get to 38-21 sort of reflects that. Like I said, I think Atlanta comes out and, and puts it up, puts it on them. I think they put up three touchdowns in the first quarter, quarter and a half. And I don't know if New England matches them and it's 21-21 or if New England 
limps along at the beginning and it's 21 to three, 21 to six or something like that. I have New England rallying in the second half and turning it on and using their big game experience to ultimately blow out Atlanta. But I do, but I do give Atlanta the credit and, and the, uh, the nod to what they've done this year that I think they have a big first quarter, first half offensively and do all the things that they've been doing and sort of set Twitter ablaze and, oh, here we go. Look at Matty Ice. Here go the Falcons. That's how I see this game playing out. Interesting. So we have we have, we have have different takes. I see Atlanta starting fast, same as you, but keeping the pressure up. Um, it, it, you know, and we'll have that sort of halftime adjustment period, and I think then we'll see, once we get into the second half, did 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 the Patriots defense adjust? And if they adjust, will the Falcons adjust back? Or will the Falcons just keep doing what they were doing? Or will they anticipate the adjustment and come out looking different? You know, that that's always the trick is you just don't have to make the adjustment. Sometimes if you're the team that's doing better, you have to anticipate the adjustment. What would I do different if I was playing me right now and maybe come out and attack that? You know, that's why I never I never like when you hear a coach run there at halftime and go, oh, we're just going to keep doing the thing we were doing. That's how you lose. <laughs> that's how you – that's Mike McCarthy coaching. That, that is not how you get things done. So there, it's that chess match, you know, and clearly in the chess match portion of it for head coaching experience, uh, you know, Bill Belichick clearly has that over Dan Quinn, although uh, not to, to take anything away from Dan Quinn, he has been to Super Bowls with the, with Seattle and been successful and, you know, completely shut down the Broncos in that Super Bowl. Of course, he did it with better players and should have beaten Tom Brady and the Patriots the very next season. <laughs> so don't, don't again, it, this is, this is really, you know, and I, I, you have this game being more lopsided than I do. I have this game being fairly close, um, albeit with different results, but you know, a game that I, I'm very excited for because I'm an Atlanta fan. I'm not sure I'd be as excited for this game if I wasn't. And maybe I'd be seeing this more differently if I wasn't a fan of the team and hadn't seen this in person and watched them. Uh, I watched them a lot this year. And most of the time when I saw them, they were, like I said, they really only offensively had one stinker. Just like just one dud. And that was that was the game at Philadelphia. Boys, um, boys, I could say I could say pretty good defense. They were they were you know Phil's average at home, which was site site out of track. Um, you'll, have, you'll have a lot of random fans on both teams, so you just don't know if you're going to get that home or away wheel. Who's going to be more loud? Who's going to feel more like they're the home team? Let's see who travels better. I've seen a lot of both teams represented very well in the in all the pregame stuff, so a lot of that could just be seeding of the media, of making sure that they have an equal representation so it's not too lopsided. Um, it, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be fun. That's the one thing overall. And again, I I can't be greedy. I'm still in the euphoric state after the Cubs won. And it almost feel like I'd be greedy if I got both a Super Bowl win and a World Series win from two of the most losing franchises in sports history in a four-month period. 
Um, somebody told me I could pick one of them to win a championship. I would, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, you know, I'd pick the yeah. Cubs. Of course. So if the Falcons do lose, this isn't the heartbreak that I think it was in 99 when they lost to the Broncos, because that was the first time I'd seen any sports of the, of the either sport that I root for either one of my teams ever make the final, make the championship, you know? Um, so, and that was a very, you know, that was, that was an awesome, unique experience. Now this is the second time. I think it's a little bit more surprising because you didn't necessarily see it through the season. You saw the offense through the season and you knew they were good. And then they built that way up and they got that number two seed and you didn't really get the sense of how good it could be for this team until the playoffs started. And they came out and just you know, completely dominated those two games. I mean, scored 80 points in the run-up to the Super Bowl, uh, which, which is pretty good, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's like, well, yeah, of course Atlanta was the best team in the NFC. No, stop. Everybody was whoring for the Cowboys, whoring for the Giants. They were even whoring for the Packers. So many people out there, but they started with what they were doing there, like, postseason power rankings would they basically had Atlanta right above Houston <laughs> and maybe and maybe Oakland there was no respect and no love for this team this is all out of Johnny come lately's to figure out about oh we we saw how good this team was you and I talked more admirably of this team throughout the season than anybody in the major media did. This was a non-story all year long, and now you got everybody trying to be the retroactive expert, so they can all shut up. <laughs> I would actually argue you that you're more excited for this game than you think, not just because of the Falcons, but just from hearing you talk about the schematic matchup and the strategy and the, the chess sure. match and the, the cat and mouse game, it sounded like you were sort of football geeking out and nerding out, and I'm right with you. I'm actually excited to see what happens tomorrow because well, of that just, as well. You're just excited because I'm at your level now. I'm thinking in your terms. I'm, you know, you pull you pull out the Twilight Zone music again. You're, you're pulling up the stats. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you know, when you pull out stats, that makes you an honorary white person. Because black folks don't pull out no stats. We just go with our right. eyes as we sit here eating our watermelon. Don't don't get me started on that. <laughs> I can always get you going with that one, too, now. So I, that's easy now. Yeah, no kidding. That that hits my button. Michael Wilbon no. is, is on my shit list forever for that column. And I didn't even read the column, I, but... And and I am excited, and I and I am very interested in the game, and I have put a lot of thought into this game because it's my team and it's a two week run up to the Super Bowl. And I, I put a lot more uh, thought and effort into this game than in previous years where we've had a Super Bowl pick for our show or for our podcast or for just us competitively where it didn't matter, you know, uh, right. where either I was winning or you were, I, whether I was the winner or you were the winner, we knew that the Super Bowl pick, we would still make it, but it was just a pick, you know, um, Last year we agreed. We we both well, we knew Denver couldn't get after Cam Newton, you know. So that just shows you what we know. So it's interesting that we disagree on this one because now we get to get a different take. <laughs> 
Last year, we both agreed about the Super Bowl, and we're both dead wrong. And right. couldn't have been more dead wrong than we were last year with the Super Bowl, you know. So, so that's good, you know, um, <laughs> that we had that. that you know, I, I I seem to remember the Denver-Seattle Super Bowl. I believe I had Seattle and you had Denver that year, which made that one really fun. Um, I do seem to remember that one. That we differed no, on, and that was as, just a, a blowout game, you know. So we'll the, see. The Patriots have a great chance, so long as Manny Ramirez doesn't open the game, snapping the ball over Tom Brady's head. I don't think Manny Ramirez is playing center for the Patriots. <laughs> Snaps the ball into that's, the that's end zone. Yeah, that's a plus in my favor that he won't be there. I don't believe. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I went back and and looked through the years here since. So you know. uh you know, you were I, you're four and three against me since we started doing the uh, the blog. So in the last seven seasons that we've been doing this, you've won four and I've won three. So you've won these last three in a row. But early on, I was winning more. So when we were in the when we were yeah. in the blog years, I was dominating. And now I and then I completely rolled you up the first year of the podcast, and you were like, "Oh my god, I'm in this rut." And then I had the lead almost wire to wire over you again the next season of the podcast. And then you caught me with the Malcolm Butler play in the Super Bowl. And you and now you've been dominating since then. So it's just interesting. We talked about it on the last show. So I went back and actually looked about that sort of ebb and flow that we have to how how we do and like even though you don't have the records, like we said, we'd be shocked to find out in our 25 plus years of doing this, if we're not within one or two games of each other, or, you know, one or two wins overall, especially considering the first year was a push. Nobody won our first season. Right. The tie. Um, which, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Scott Norwood. Cause he got you a tie um, back in our very first season. So, I wouldn't be surprised to find out if we looked through and found and, and and could reach back in and find all the notebooks that you and I were pretty much even against each other since we started doing this, doing it completely different ways. Yeah, before 2010, we were doing it in in notebooks with pen and paper like the old days. Yeah. And in between one of my many moves, I lost all of those notebooks, unfortunately. So that would have been fun to go back and look. What the, the very first move I actually remember the first the very first time I moved out of my the house that I grew up in when I was uh, 18 years old into my uncle's house, and some of the pages I was running across then, which had stuff like uh, L.A. Raiders you know, versus uh, Houston Oilers and things like that. I was like, oh my god, we've been doing this so long. So I, I don't, I've lost all of those pages as well. But yeah, it, this goes back all the way back. Uh, eighth grade seventh or eighth grade actually uh before that even uh, in skinner sixth grade i think was when we first started picking these games and well uh, 1990 uh 1990 was our first season um, okay that we did this that would have been eighth grade formally eighth grade first time we ever kept track on paper of all the games uh formally and assigned points you know and we it was funny because you know, we, I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but the two, three, four, five point system that we've had for yeah. the playoffs is original from season one. 
your point I system changed. Yeah, because I was five whatever points ahead of you after we took our wins because we just took raw That's wins. Right. We took raw wins, and I had beaten you through the playoffs, and I was five points ahead of you, and I had the Bills in the Super Bowl, and Scott Norwood misses the field goal, and you tied me. So that was your victory. Your victory was we had no winner. Um, and I didn't win, no, so that was your victory. That's, it's funny because I don't think we've ever talked about that on the show, that the point system that we use is 25 years old or 26 years old now. It's the original point system that we used. The only thing that changed was you started attributing um, the, the raw wins to percentages because when we what we found early in the first few years of doing it was when we just went by raw wins, um, that's when we started having like blowout territory. It made it uncompetitive, especially and not I don't think you changed it so much for me. You changed it for the people that we were picking with <laughs> yeah. who were terrible uh, at picking, you know, when we, we had the like the people in the two seventies and three hundreds <laughs> and I mean, we had a guy finished a season <laughs> with us in high school 270 i remember I that remember. number 270 picking the game so just imagine if that guy just took all his picks and reversed them he would have been 73 <laughs> percent then we had another guy i remember that same year did a 305 but this is back when you and i struggled to hit 500 we we spent a long time That's true. We spent years in the low 400s, you know, below what we called the Mariotti line. Anything below 400 was the Mariotti line. And you and I did have seasons early on where we flirted with that. That's why we always talk about the fear that we're due for one of those years. Um, because we remember being there. It wasn't that we've been just awesome and we've been flirting with this 500 and 500 plus forever. The, the, we remember the dark days of doing this when we started picking against the spread when we had no clue what we were doing um or less of a clue was i one, should say there was one guy in high school that seemed to consistently be over 500 and it wasn't either one of us uh do you remember who it was i i thought it was nelson or am i no, remembering nelson that correctly was, nelson nelson's the one who pulled out the 270 oh i thought that was and D, for some no, Nelson pulled out the 270, and then D uh, was the, the 305. I remember that. Yeah. Nelson had a 270 because he just did not take it seriously. One of our friends was consistently yeah. beating us, was consistently yeah. close to 500, which we couldn't do well, for a while. I, I, that was what made it tricky in high so. school. Yeah, I can't even remember who we were picking with because we had at, at 1.78 people on right that sheet. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was a me, long you, list of Nelson, guys. Me, you, Nelson. Yeah, me, you, Nelson, D. We'd have guest pickers that would show up in the lunchroom, and we'd write them down, too. Um, Slappy so, yeah. for a while. We had Marty Rubio for a while. We had, yeah. uh, who else? Ron, I think, picked uh, for a while. Big Mike. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we had a whole bunch of guys. Was it Big Mike uh, or was it Big did, Phil? Did Phil pick? Uh, Phil might have picked with us as well. Uh, yeah. Might have been both funny. Big Phil and Big Mike. Yeah. I, I, through high school, I think the only constant was you and me. <laughs> Every week, yeah. it was somebody different. No, I think the one that was over five hundred that always blew you away was my mom. Well, that yeah, obviously, <laughs> but she wasn't picking with us in high school though. 
but yeah, because yeah, we don't talk years, about uh, those days when you and I lost seasons of doing. <laughs> we lost to, my to your mom. We don't. We just don't talk. Yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. First rule about dark days. Talking about pigs is we don't talk about your mother's pigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When my would ask yeah. my mother, because I'd do it, I'd sit there and you know, either if I was living with her, I would ask her. If I was not, I'd call her. And, hey, mom. Okay, we got. And then, oh, mom, it's this person, you know, this team is minus three at the other team. I'd always have to explain to her what the point spread meant. <laughs> then she'd always ask me about one of the teams, who's their quarterback? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. And, and this is, you know, imagine how it felt for us. Imagine how it felt for me writing these down, knowing that we're going to lose to her. Shaking your head. Oh, God, she's going to beat us, yeah. not even knowing who this is. Yeah. No, then I, you and I, I would call you, each uh, other you and I would call each other and do the picks and then I'd usually have her picks ready. And then when I give them to you and, and we just know it was almost like the coin. If we both right. agreed on something and my mom disagreed, it was like just the dime. Yep, I just want to flip the coin. She's going to win. She's gonna circle win. it. Circle it. Yep. I've heard you a couple times when you were getting the picks live from her while you were talking to me and listening to her say, well, what color uniform is that team? Yeah. I like them. They wear the silver. <laughs> yeah. I'll take them. I'm like, it was oh, so are you serious? So random. It was so random how she picked. Really? Maybe that's the point. It almost was the the dime situation. It was almost the coin flip situation because there wasn't Your mom was a the ton first of dime. Yes, the control because there wasn't a whole lot of breakdown or analysis. But you and I didn't really start getting into that, you know, because early on we didn't we watched football, but you know as we started really you know so i would say getting into our 20s you know especially once you know i moved away and i you know and and, and all of a sudden it was like okay well that was our thing that was a thing it was all right yeah so i talked to my best friend we're at least we're not gonna if we're gonna talk to each other we know we're at least gonna talk to each other once a week during the football season so that was always sort of the thing that kept every week picking up the phone you know, or picking up the phone during the base. But yeah, I didn't call you, or we didn't call each other nearly as much during the off season. <laughs> no football. Yeah, we'd call each other during the baseball season, or we'd call just, "Hey, what's going on?" But during the football season, there was that religious two hours, three hours every week of doing this right here. And this is what the show is. It's it's our weekly call to it, each other. It it really is. It really is. The only thing that we don't talk about on this show is our strategy for our football team, our baseball team. I mean, it's the only thing we don't talk about on this show. In case one of them might be one of the five listeners. You never know. So that's <laughs> why we need to start filling this show with horrible misinformation. <laughs> Talking about how much we love a player that we clearly hate. We should we should have a show when we're doing Kings of Non Sequitur. We should have a show yeah, right before meeting. we go to Chicago. Awesome. And just and we should just call it the horrible misinformation fantasy baseball <laughs> podcast or something like that, where we just go out there and completely give bogus information about players that we like, but sprinkle in some truth so that nobody knows and just keep guessing. God, I love the way Adam Eaton plays baseball. I want him on my fantasy team every year. Wait, wait a minute. You know that? We've had Adam Eaton. Yeah, I know. I know. In an AL only league, you're going to have pretty much everybody at some point. That's 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 a good point. You can't can't afford to hate too many guys because you have to fill your team somehow. Yeah. yeah. 
we've only had a couple of guys who we said would never be on our team. <laughs> and we've, and we call that the Sydney Ponson list. <laughs> I was just about to say Sydney Ponson's at the top of the list. <laughs> yes. It, it's the, no, it's not just, he's the top of the list. The list is named for him. <laughs> It's the Sydney Ponson list of it's the Sydney Ponson shit list of yeah. guys that we don't ever want the, on our team ever again. The one year I remember the one year I went down there for the draft and you weren't there with me. It's one of the few years that you weren't able to make it. I've, it, it was it was it's, it's been a long time. Um but there was one of the years I went there and I, I was buying it, it was and I remember because I was buying guys that you told me not to buy. That was like the year I got Jason Hamill for three dollars and you were just like, What did you do? Oh no, not him! I was like, "What? What do you mean?" And he had an awesome season. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? And and I'm just getting all these guys, and I know you're going to hate it. I actually had my little list because I had the list that you send me, um, that we don't discuss, but the list that you sent me, and then I had right next to that, and it said on the thing, Sydney Ponson list, and it was a list of like (laughs) five or six guys because I didn't have you there. It was like a list of like five or six guys that I could glance down at just to keep reminding myself don't, don't even do bid on these guys don't, don't even ev- think about don't even, it don't, don't even, even convince yourself don't even convince yourself to bid somebody up on these guys <laughs> because you could get stuck with one of them so I had that list and it was I had that right there it said right on my sheet Sydney Ponson list uh, for people who don't know <laughs> the very first year that I joined that league. You were not with me yet. You came in in year two because I was so overwhelmed in year one. I didn't have a whole lot to go on. I had never paid any attention to American League Baseball at all. So I'm trying to now learn the American League from the ground up. Um, and I kept referring back to Sidney Ponson being terrible and, and the way I knew he was terrible, I don't know if I ever told you how I knew that Sidney Ponson was the worst player ever. I knew that Sidney Ponson was terrible because I'd murder him in video games. <laughs> yeah, I think you did tell me about that. Every time Sidney Ponson pitched against me in video game baseball, I destroyed him. I couldn't wait to see him pitching against me in video game baseball. And off of that information... I knew not to draft him, and it turned out he really was terrible. You know what's really fucked up about that? I couldn't hit Sidney Ponson in video games, at least, on, at least not an MVP. <laughs> so you would have uh, told me to draft him. <laughs> right. I, I would have said he's got two pitches, and that's all, but one of them you can't hit because it's a 94-mile-an-hour two-seamer, and I couldn't hit it for shit. So he murdered me. He threw a one-hitter against me one time. I still remember it because yeah. I couldn't I, believe I, I couldn't I hit him for nothing. It was one of the high heat baseball games, which I really love. That was one of my favorite baseball franchises, but they, you know it's, it's gone now. But it was high heat, and I always remembered high heat baseball because not, not only did Sidney Ponson blow, but if you ran on Mike Piazza, no joke, oh God, no joke. Every throw to second base, if you ran on Mike Piazza, three hopped to second base <laughs> and rolled. And rolled to the bag <laughs> every single throw from Mike Piazza. That's all of base. You, Mike Piazza. Watch you your mouth. Was, I was stealing on him with pitchers. You name it. 
if it was if anybody got on base in this video game against Mike Piazza, he could not throw you out. Impossible. Um, I thought that was very funny and very true to life, but come on. Yes. Didn't you just overdo it a little bit? Somebody really didn't like <laughs> whoever drew up the code for that game was not a Mike Piazza fan. His defensive rating must have been about 15. Yeah. And the first hop on its way to second base was like right behind the pitcher's mound. I, I can still see this. <laughs> Just horrible throw. Somebody throws. was saying that Mike Piazza throws like a girl. Yeah, I'm the surprised the game didn't go past the pitcher's mound. When everybody get up and throw <laughs> yeah. the ball, I'm surprised they didn't put that sound in the game, too. Should have put his uniform as, as pink no matter what team he was on. <sighs> what were we talking about? Kings of non sequitur. I have no idea how we you got to get that. You've got to get the echo for when you say that. I, if you got to figure out a way. That, I would do that. You got to figure out a way to get the reverb or the echo so it sounds more, you know, regal when you say it. The only way I can think of is I, all these songs that I pull for our outro music. I pull them off of YouTube, so I have to have myself saying Kings of Non Sequitur into a microphone, put it into some sort of sound effect chamber, record that uh, onto YouTube yeah. and then upload it to the to the show. It's the only way I can think of doing that. Sounds like a lot of okay. work. Sounds like something I don't know how to do, actually. So uh, I don't know. Maybe one of our I'll, maybe one of our five listeners out. will Yeah. Then we'll clue us that. in. That'll be your project. That's so right. One of our five listeners will let me know. How to do that? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, they'll, it, they'll yeah, be like, "It's easy, dumbass." That's probably how it. Right. Be. Exactly. That's what eight misspellings and everything else. Uh, it was funny. A lot of these prop bets I was looking at were uh, uh, centered around the fact that Lady Gaga's doing the halftime show, and she's yeah. very much outspoken, you know, against uh, President Trump and all that. And how many times will oh, she no say way. the name Trump or something during her uh, during no her performance? Way. She's outspoken against President. Wow, she, she's on an island. <laughs> yes, she's the only one. Uh, now, uh, I don't know if she's going to actually say his name during the performance. I, so I would lean towards no on that. But there's a chance she's she is that outspoken. If it was Madonna, she definitely would because Madonna, of course, says uh, the most outrageous thing she can well, think. Yeah, Lady Madonna Gaga said they should blow up the White House. Yeah, and Lady Gaga being Madonna Jr., she may follow suit and say something similar. So uh, I would think not, but there's a chance. Can we just keep, can, can we just have three and actually four hours of just football and entertainment, quote unquote, please? Aren't they going to, this is on Fox, uh, aren't they going to have this stupid uh where they have O'Reilly interviewing the president or something, which they did with Obama a couple times, and it was embarrassing. It was how oh, yeah. slanted no. and terrible O'Reilly's question for doubt it. Obama was, and I'm not saying this in, in a bad way, but Obama was always like out there trying to whore his like sports credentials. I don't think we're going to see a President Trump bracket this year on ESPN. I'm just saying. I don't think you're going to see that either, but I think you are going to yeah. see the O'Reilly interview with Trump uh, on the pregame oh, show, which is yet another reason to avoid the pregame show. Keep this out of my football. Get nope, too late. Do away with it. The, the, Make football the great again. <laughs> oh. No, that, that ship has sailed. 
as soon as they can figure out a way oh. to get O'Reilly in their telecast. And I bet that gets a big number when O'Reilly does the interview with Obama and with Trump. I bet it's one of the bigger rated portions of the of the telecast oh. because it's full of people just sitting there going, I hate this. I can't believe they're doing this. Why are they doing this during the Super Bowl? Sitting there watching and giving it a big rating. I bet you that's what it is. Right. Yeah, they're definitely not putting Trump on the video screen to to wish everybody uh, a, a happy and and safe and exciting Super Bowl. They're doing yeah, but no, Obama, he, he couldn't stop being all over yeah. like ESPN or any of that. That was that was his thing. I get that, um, he was, but I don't see that happening here. So, and I'm not, it wasn't a derogatory way. Then. I'm not saying that in a bad way. It just was, it seemed very sort of like unnecessary that we had to have Obama every year, every year pick chalk in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> right. Seriously. It was bad enough that he's picking and, the bracket, is, but he's picking all yeah. the favorites and like, all the higher seeds. Like and no all upsets. His bracket had like Pretty no much. upsets. It's like all four number one seeds every year. And then one year we got like almost all number one seeds are like, oh, look, the. Obama, he, he knows college best. No, he picked chalk. Man, not really. Yeah. He may have played a little chalk. bit back in his day or something, but he doesn't really I, know. I get that. <laughs> <So, sighs> yeah. I'm guessing, though, we're not getting that. We're not getting any Trump brackets or or, or any of that kind of stuff or, or Trump weighing in on, on, on like issues like that. So hopefully. I don't imagine you'll be getting a bracket. I, I don't know what else he's going to say about sports, but it's probably not going to be of any significance. So, right. Well, we know Tom like, Brady's a big fan of his. Huge. Huge. We haven't talked about that. You know, they, they had he his hat was in his locker. Oh my God! And now Tom Brady has to tell America why, why Tom Brady? Why he doesn't have to tell why anybody why. It? That's that's the whole thing though. It's like you had all these like newspapers and, and and columnists and people on TV. They were demanding. No, Tom Brady had that hat in his locker, and he has to justify himself to the American people. No, he doesn't. If if, if Tom no. Brady, okay, so let's take the other side. If Tom Brady had a "I'm with her" T-shirt <laughs> in his locker, would we be hearing this? No. So just everybody, calm down. It doesn't matter. If Tom Brady voted for Trump or voted for Hillary, it doesn't matter. He's going out to play a football game. He doesn't have to justify to anybody why he voted for who at all. Even more to Trump's side, maybe more than Brady would be Belichick because it's Belichick who wrote him a, apparently wrote him a letter congratulating him on his nomination and all that. And oh. Trump read the letter during a uh, uh, during a, a tour stop when he was campaigning. Uh, and Belichick, of course, completely shut it down because he tr- he shuts everything down. Uh, but that might be even, even a bigger supporter of, of Trump than we're on to Cincinnati. Uh, we're not going to talk about we're not talking. We're yeah. not talking about anything other than football. That's that's what he's always been about. Um, but yeah, those are two of the the more uh, open or, or out there supporters of Trump. Yeah. So of course they're going to get a lot of uh, you know justify your support, justify your position, you know. It's a hot button topic, so uh, but it is. It's funny because those are two of the guys that don't tell you anything about anything. So it's it's really no. fruitless to grill them about it because they're certainly not going to open up. Now, if it was Charles Barkley, that'd be a different story. But 
not those two. It was it was the demanding tone, like 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 Tom Brady had owed America an explanation for why he has particular political leanings, and it's like n- no. It just to stop. Everybody, calm down. Everybody, calm down with this stuff. Calm down. You, I don't. I don't need explanations from Tom Brady about anything, other than you know why he threw that pass in the third quarter or or something else like that. That's all I need to hear. Oh, I don't even want to hear, hear that. You know how I feel about athletes trying to speak oh, and talk I about know. games. We're just trying one Unless game it's Richard Sherman. If it's to, Richard uh, Sherman, though. Well, he doesn't Every say that time. shit. He actually speaks. No. That's that's completely different. He actually says words. He doesn't say cliches or or whatever. He does. He doesn't spout yeah. platitudes. He actually speaks. But yeah. guys like Tom Brady and Eli Manning and all them, we're just trying to do the best we can. We just take it one game at a time, and we're just. I don't need to hear that. Shut up. You're saying nothing. You're literally saying nothing. Stop saying that. I don't need any of that. Did you hear about uh, the the Charles Barkley LeBron James flare up earlier this week? Speaking of yeah. outspoken uh, athletes, vaguely. Athletes. I, I mean, I was aware of it because I caught it, and they were talking about it. But it wasn't enough that I really took the time to like get into what it was all about, other than it was dumb. And people need to talk yeah, about it's, something. It's always dumb when Charles Barkley tries to speak on things at least most of the time it's dumb now Barkley was just going in on LeBron mostly on LeBron's uh, sort of whining about uh, his organization needs to step up and get him uh, extra help and more teammates and whatnot because they're they were going through a, a bit of a losing streak and, and whatnot and he was LeBron was being very public about his demands that they get another playmaker and they get some extra uh, help, which and you know, I, I tend to come off as LeBron's biggest supporter and defender. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with taking it public when you think your your organization isn't doing what they can to help your team. I don't think you have to always go to the media with that. You can do that privately. You can you know go to the, to the front office, the GM. In this case, LeBron probably is the GM, um, and but you can express your displeasure and, and what you want done uh, in a private setting. You don't have to make it public. But, but LeBron is very much about his image and he wants to look like the guy that is uh, trying to be the leader and, and trying to uh, t- say, say the truth and say what his team needs and, and be as honest as he can. And Charles Barkley was coming back with his typical rhetoric, which is anyone who's younger than him, anyone who's younger than Barkley, uh, doing anything in a in a leadership type way is uh, being a, a young buck who thinks he knows it all and, and doesn't know what it takes because he's not like us. It's not back in the old days, back when it was me and Michael and, and all that, we did things differently. Everything that everyone does to Barkley is, is wrong because it wasn't anyone as old as him. Anyone that's not as old as him is doing it wrong, according to Barkley. And LeBron got sick of it. He got sick of all that crap uh, because – Barkley, of course, doesn't have the most sparkling uh, uh, reputation, all the things that Barkley did in his life. So LeBron, who wasn't uh, for some of the stuff, wasn't alive yet. And for for some of the stuff was barely a kid. So it's not like he remembers it uh, from growing up, but he had to go do some research. But LeBron went and did his research about some of some of the stuff in Barkley's past. and, And he and he got a, a reporter from ESPN, and he said the following about Charles Barkley. Quote, I'm not going to let him disrespect my legacy like that. 
I'm not the one who threw somebody through a window. I never spit on a kid. I never had unpaid debt in Las Vegas. I never said I'm not a role model. I never showed up to All-Star Weekend on Sunday because I was in Vegas all weekend partying. All I've done for my entire career is represent the NBA the right way. 14 years, never got in trouble, respected the game. Print that, unquote. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you what. He's <laughs> right. Yeah, stop me when I he says something I wrong. He, I, yes, I know your uncle would disagree. But, <laughs> but unless you are just a he blatant, was, obvious LeBron hater, he's totally right. Le, he LeBron, was so right other that my, than, he was so right that my uncle agreed with it. My oh, uncle wow, actually that's right. Yeah, agrees with what really? LeBron says. I would say that LeBron's only blemish was the media blunder of of the decision, and the not two, not three. Yeah. That was really that's really his only major hiccup. His other hiccups have all been just sort of on the court, you know. Oh, maybe he passed the ball too much in that in that finals that they lost, you know, where they, he was like afraid. Uh, to score, he wouldn't take the big shot at the end of the game. But that's all stuff that you can break down in his game. And that's getting pretty nitpicky in what has been an exceptional career. No, but Jason, that's it. I the decision. Think that's what it all stems from. I think it all. It's well, the decision. The decision and all that. No, I think it on the court criticism of LeBron stems from he was the ne- he was one of those guys like Kobe, like uh, a, a couple yeah. of other guys that was anointed as the next Jordan. He's not the next Jordan. He doesn't play like Jordan and he didn't have that killer instinct early in his career. Like Jordan, I think it stems a lot from that, that people were just waiting for him to take over and cut everyone's throat. Like Michael Jordan used to, well, he's not Michael Jordan. That's not his personality. He's as, as great or greater of a basketball player than Jordan. He is the next Jordan in some respects, as far as global uh, appeal and, and whatnot. But he's not Jordan. He's he's not the exact same personality. And I think a lot of guys no. like Barkley uh, that used to, to watch Michael Jordan take people's hearts out of their chests and just cut it and eat it right there on, on the court for everybody to see, we're waiting for LeBron to be that type of player. And he's not that type of player. He's better at it lately than he used to be. But he's not. He's still not Jordan. He's not a, a cutthroat killer, and he never will be because that's not his personality. But I really think that's where a lot of the criticism stems from. But yeah, good for LeBron. So, I, hell yeah, good for him. Bitch slap Charles Barkley. Anyone who wants to bitch slap Charles Barkley is good in my book. Doesn't have to be LeBron either. It can be anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Just anybody. Any- <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you there. I mean, I, I that quote is that that's like that is a scalpel. That's that is research. surgical precision. Yes, it is. That is a precision strike against Sir Charles right there. I doubt LeBron did it himself. He probably had one of his boys, one of his posse members, uh, Google Charles Barkley and look up all that stuff. But the fact that he went through the trouble to do it to to shine a spotlight on this guy and say, "Hey, th- this guy that's criticizing me." He's a dick, and he doesn't really need to say those things. It's personal. That's a personal attack on Barkley, and, but it's yeah. all true. Yeah, but like what, he made it up. Yeah, at that point, Charles Barkley just, just, just don't say anything. Just right. let him be. He's that much he, he wins say. this run. You win this one, LeBron. <laughs>
All right, we're gonna shut it down here. Yeah, unless you got anything, you had else. anything that else? was a that was a that was a fast and furious uh, after show. Yeah, all of our shows seem to go fast. So the more we've done this, this is a uh, is is this the end of our fourth year of doing um, this? Yes. <laughs> wow. I've been going back and listening to some of the old shows. Um, oh, you're the I, one. My drive to, well, some of them. But I've been going no. back and listening to some not not no not not to that level where all of a sudden some random week twelve show shows up you know <laughs> but I've been going back and listening to some of the older shows like early early shows not so early oh. when we had the Doctor Who theme um, there's only that was one show that was the first show that's I got rid of it after the first damn show <laughs> yeah but I think myself my, well that was from me and your wife that was the criticism. That's what I mean. All the criticism of it. All, all that I heard criticism. Was negative. Yeah, you it was from two people. You didn't need all... anymore. Um, That's right. Yeah, going back and listening to some of the older shows while I'm on the drive into work. Well, you know, I got to keep the numbers up so we can get our 40 cents. Um, <laughs> we got to hit that $20 so you can send me that $10 bill. I'm going to frame it. One day. It's going to happen. It's going to so, happen. Yeah, I'll get that $10 from you. You can send me a nice, crisp $10 bill. Um, and I'll, I'll put that in a little frame, and that'll be our the, the, the money I earned from doing this show, uh, which would be ignore paling. the hundreds that we get the money that we spent. Radio. That's right. But and yeah, forget the, the amount of money that we, that we earned. We, that's <laughs> that's what matters, really, when you yes. boil it down. Um, but yeah, just just listening to how different the show is now. You know, it's so much. There's a lot more free form to the show. Um, the audio quality's gotten better on some of those old shows. We had all the, we, oh. we still have them, but we had a lot more of the live radio issues. Music's too loud. We cut out. There, there's, there's shows where I entirely just disappear because I get disconnected from the show entirely and you just are lost. Um, but yeah, we've four years, almost 200 shows. Almost. I do need to. I'll, I'll go through and figure it out because I know we're getting really close. I'll figure out when we're going to have that two hundredth show. I'm, um, I'm pretty sure because the first two hundred, we may have, but the first hundred went by pretty quick. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, the first hundred felt like a hundred shows. The second hundred just flew by. Yeah, I think you, when you do pretty much anything that many times, you're going to get better at it. You're going to get more comfortable. We're not nearly yeah. as nervous. We're, we know what we want to yeah. say when the show starts instead of kind of making it up as the show goes along. And uh, I think it shows. The nerves The nerves I had before that first show were insane. Oh, me too. Me too. And then we I spent still remember. A, we spent. I remember spending 20 minutes of our 30 minute NFC preview show <laughs> just introducing ourselves and then realizing that we only had 10 minutes to talk about everything we wanted to talk about previewing the NFC. So from that aspect, the show's never changed. <laughs> because I can go on and on forever. And then you have to sort of verbally tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, we, yeah. we got 10 minutes left. We might want to, there was a, there was a lot, there was a lot of that in the shorter versions of the show that before we expanded the show, there was a lot of me reining you in on time in, in, in yeah. that, like, you know, we only got a few minutes, you know, or, or I'd start like, like being sneaky about segueing you into stuff because 
or I would just jump in and move right on to the next topic because I was sensing the time and time is just totally getting away from us. Um, but we don't deal with that so much anymore. All we know, if there's one rule on this show, that we will make the Thursday night pick in a minute and a half. That's how we do it. That's how we roll. That's what we do. So another fun season. Uh, I'm sure we'll have our recap show next week someday. Um, you know. Someday um, next week. Someday next week. Probably I would say what would be uh, Tuesday night probably works the best. Looking at my schedule for the week here, my busy schedule, you know, um, I would say that if there's a night that works the best for me, Tuesday would work to get that recap in. Then we get a little break. Yep. Probably won't be back on the air before the uh, the Oscars show. With the WBC this year, I noticed that spring training starts like February 13th. It's crazy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Although I don't pay any attention at all to the WBC. I don't know if you pay any attention to that. Uh, I did only the first year. Because I remembered the first year that I uh, I watched a lot of it because I had participated in an online poll of which team would win, and I picked the winner that year. I picked Japan to win the first WBC, and the reason I was so interested in it that first year was because my vote uh, of Japan was only one point four or something percent of the overall vote total. <laughs> I was like, wow. I picked I just I picked Japan just because of the the style of baseball I know that they play is very conducive to that style of tournament format. You know, a lot of lot of team ball, a lot of good pitching, a lot of good defense, a lot of a lot of a lot of timely kind of hit. And it was I I played that one right, right through a tee. Um, so that was the only thing I had interested in, interested in uh, interest in ugh, that first year <laughs> of the WBC was the fact that I had picked a team that had less than like 2% of the support out of all the teams. Cause they're like USA or Cuba, you know, all those. And I was like, no, I, I took little old Japan, but it was like 1.4%. So that was the one year I paid attention. And there you go. I, not since then. Cause it's such a, it's a waste of time as far as I'm concerned. It really is. The first time it was kind of cool. The first time it was like, you know, people, the, the yeah, players wanted to be in it. This was right. It was like the dream team. You know, that was a big deal. The, I'm not talking about OJ's dream team. I'm talking about the Olympic dream team. Oh, God. you know, I was looking for Johnny Cochran for a second there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the about, fit. Know, that's right. Fit. It must have quit. But that mm-hmm. was something special. And now they just not, now these guys from the NBA, you can barely even get them to go to the Olympics. They don't care. No, they don't give a damn. That first dream team. See, just it's, yeah. it's like, why are we doing this? You almost get that vibe of what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? With the, the yeah. pitchers complain about it interrupting their preparation for the season because they have right. to go from down dead in the in the off season downtime to a little bit of warm up to oh shit I have to throw all out going you know as, as hard as I can because this is a competition. Yeah to go back to spring training and kind of wind it back down and to take it easy and get ready for the real season. It's just, it's a monkey wrench in a lot of people's preparation. And I, I personally don't care for it myself. Maybe right. if they did in a different time of the season, I don't know, but for, for where it's placed right now, I don't, I don't care for it. 
Um, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I keep meaning to go in and put it on my uh, DVR here so I can watch it. Do, did you catch or are you aware of the uh, that ESPN did the 30 for 30 on the XFL? I'm aware of it. I have not watched it, and I don't know if I want to because it was it's such an embarrassment. The I know. XFL, that's why I want to watch thing. it. It's a train wreck. Oh, it was such a train wreck, and I, but I lived it. I saw it when it happened. It was awful. Strippers well, in, the, in the cheerleading outfits and <laughs> uh, in the hot tubs and Soldier Field, and yeah, oh, it was awful. They're cutting. They were cutting promos. They were cutting like WWE promos. In the yeah, he hates me on the back of their jerseys and shit. Oh my god! <laughs> I I totally want to watch it. So if I do end Ugh. up seeing it, I will give a full report of it on the show because I'm sure there's going to be some memories. Of, oh yeah. Of that. I, I will say everybody rips on it now. Everybody watched that first week. Everybody watched that. You know that first televised game. Everybody wanted to see what it was all about. Then everybody realized. Wow, this is shit. Oh, the ratings uh, arrow was incredible (laughs) from how high it was to how low it went the next week and the week after. It was non-existent. The ratings arrow arrow wasn't even like a steep incline. It was just a straight down arrow. Straight down. So I I do want to watch it. So if I do get a chance to see it, I, I, I will revisit that here on the show so I, I do mean to go in and find it um on my show listing so that i can set it to record and, and watch that one night so i do intend to talk about that because that revisits a very dark page um of sports history the xfl the oj documentary uh the 30 for 30 on oj was so well done that it's got Oscar nominations and things of that nature. Yeah. So it's in my uh it's it's in on demand as well, and I could watch that anytime. And I haven't watched that either for the exact same reason. It was a shit show, it was a train wreck. Yeah. I lived it, I saw it, and I don't want to yep. I don't have to see that again because I was already there the first time. Yeah, Just as like much as we as, as much as we knock on ESPN, the, the 30 for 30 stuff is really good. That's because um, they went outside watched, of ESPN to go bring in talented yeah, people to do it. it no, the people inside their caught, walls could never do that shit. I caught the one. I don't know if we ever talked about the on the show or talked about it. I watched the one about the Duke lacrosse team. Oh, I'm trying to remember if I watched that one. I And it was yeah, totally random yeah. that I caught it. It was, it was couple, totally random years. that I caught it. I yeah, I saw it not that long. I, I saw it probably a year or so ago, but I had no intention okay. of watching. It wasn't like appointment viewing. I was like, I got to watch that. I was just going through the channels, and it was on, and I couldn't turn it off. Yeah, um, yeah, it was very well done. It was very well done. So I ended up watching. I was like, man, you know, and every time I've ever had any experience with these 30 for 30s, they've all been really good. I saw the one at work. Uh, it was a slow day, and I caught most of the one about the uh, – Miami Notre Dame game. That is my favorite thirty for thirty. <laughs> okay, oh, no, that's wait, pretty recent uh, one. No, 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 no. Okay, now I got confused. That's the Catholics versus convicts one. That's a new one. I haven't yeah. seen that one yet. The one that's about the one. U. The one about Miami's reign of terror oh, in the eighties. Okay. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. That's my favorite one because that was that's a good one. Huh? Oh, okay. I that got is a, two hours of fireworks. That team. I got a. I got a. 
I got to watch some more of those because those are good. So, all right. Yeah. We said we were done 15 minutes ago. Now we're done. Of course. <laughs> what were we, we talking about? We're off into something. <laughs> That's right. He's Jay. I'm Dre. This has been in much less detail of the podcast. Everyone enjoy the big game. Enjoy the Super Bowl tomorrow, the, the national holiday, so to speak. Although I'll be at work, but I'll be home in time to actually see the kickoff. The actual real kickoff which again is about 6.30 Eastern time, 5.30 Central. All the other bullshit before that, if you want to ignore that, you can ignore that. But if you're like my wife and like a whole lot of other people and just want to know when does the actual game start? 5.30 Central, 6.30 Eastern, that's when you should tune in to Fox and actually start watching real, actual football. And we will be back, like Jason said, sometime next week. Well, Tuesday, probably Tuesday, what, 9 o'clock-ish? So we're aiming for Tuesday. Tuesday, 9 o'clock in the evening, Central Time, 10 Eastern, for our recap of Super Bowl 51 from Houston, Texas, taking place tomorrow. And we will talk about that game on Tuesday evening. Everybody enjoy the big game tomorrow. We'll talk to you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.